0: Well, again, uh, I'm really grateful that you are here. If you don't have somebody around, you turn to somebody around you and just say "Merry Christmas." Just give them a little "Merry Christmas," "Happy Cheer." Just right now, just tell somebody "Merry Christmas." So maybe you have to wake them up. It's December, after all. But uh, it's uh, it's a really fun time to be around. Thank you for being here. And uh, Christmas is such a fun time, not just in the church, but also in our family and One of the ways that kind of kicks off the Christmas season, at least at our house, is when the Christmas tree goes up. How many of you have a Christmas tree? Maybe it's small, maybe it's big. Okay, so pretty much all of us. So so we put up our Christmas tree. It was probably a couple days after our tree went up um, that my mother-in-law was on the phone with Lindsay. So we've been married almost nine years. That's totally normal. They talk a lot on the phone. And I can hear kind of some tense tones to my mother-in-law's voice. And I'm like, uh-oh, what did I do? You know, like, what did I say? Maybe she's mad at me. Maybe she's mad at her. I don't know what's going on. I could tell my mother-in-law is frustrated. And, and she's saying, like, it was just the worst. It was just, a, It was just a bummer. Like, it was just the worst. They're going back and forth. And I'm like, and as any good husband does, I immediately start eavesdropping from the next room. You know, like, I'm kind of listening and trying to, like, piece together what are they talking about. And come to find out, they're talking about Christmas trees. They're going back and forth about this. And, and, and Lindsay's family, just for context, is like the most sentimental, nostalgic, just warm fuzzies at any holiday, people. And my family's like the just opposite of that. I mean, not that we don't love Christmas, but I can't even remember if every year we even had a Christmas tree. We were traveling or we'd go to Florida one year, we'd go to... Uh, a basketball game one. It just like was a total, we had no real traditions. It just was like Christmas was Christmas. But for her, one of the, the kind of paramount traditions for their family was to go to a big old tree farm, get the saw, and start hacking away at like your perfect Christmas tree, getting all the pine needles everywhere, loading up the car with the tree, go back home, set it up. It was just like a, a full day event. How many of you are real tr- real tree people here? You're like, I, I love vacuuming the pine needles out of the fact. Okay, so some of us. How many of you are fake tree people? Just Okay, so I, I'm in the fake tree camp. Uh, I'm not in denial, okay? Like, I, I get what Christmas is and what it isn't, and I'm just, I'm totally game to go down to the storage room, pull up the tree, and set it up. Like, that's just, I'm, I'm giving that away. But, but her, my mother-in-law was just talking. She was like, it was the worst, it was worse. We We pack up, we find this new Christmas tree farm. And we're so excited. It was like 45 minutes away. They load all the kids up, all the grandkids in the cars, and they start heading down to the Christmas tree farm. Well, they get there, and all they find is this beautiful, historic red barn. And they see this, not unlike a lot of Christmas tree farms, even around here. It has some of those kind of old-school, vintage architecture. Well, she gets in, and they, they open the doors, and they're not seeing really any trees around. And so they look in this barn, and inside the barn is just are stacks and stacks of incredibly perfectly manicured, freshly cut Christmas trees. Now they're labeled, they're organized, the prices are right there. They have like attendants like helping you pick out the right tree, and then they're gonna take it, they're gonna load it up onto the car for you. It's like the dream scenario for real tree people. And to her, that was just the worst. I mean, she was like, this is the worst. Like, we didn't have to go cut it. We didn't have to go pick it. We just like picked it off a shelf. And to me, I'm hearing this like, that sounds like a dream. I mean, that, if I'm going to be a real tree guy, that's how I'm doing. I'm going to Lowe's or Home Depot, and that's all we're doing. And, and so she was just talking about that. And here's, here's my observation. This is from a fake tree guy. So if you're a real tree person, give me a little bit of grace here. But from a fake tree guy, here's what I think about real tree people. You guys are just all in denial about what actually happened. You are keeping a tree alive that you cut down. You think about that. I mean, you are trying to make it look like it's still alive, but you are the one with the hacksaw just... (laughs) Die, 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 and then taking it to your car and then driving off. And then you're the one complaining at Christmas dinner about how there's pine needles everywhere because you have a dog or you got a three-year-old or whatever. It just kills me. Like anytime I go to my, it's just, it happens. It's like a yearly occurrence. And now you could say fake tree people are even more in denial because we dress up plastic and make it look like a real tree, but that's another conversation. So what I think is so funny is like, and it's not just us, like anyone who does real tree, anyone who decorates in general, we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, sometimes a lot of money, sometimes a lot of effort to keep something that is dead looking like it's alive. We do it all the time, and we do this in our lives in a bunch of different ways, but we do it specifically spiritually too. I mean, man, I have conversation after conversation of stuff that sometimes in my own life or maybe in your life where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to keep something looking like it's good, looking like it's alive, and I'm just throwing decorations on brokenness. I'm just throwing decorations on a relationship that's really not where it needs to be. I'm throwing decorations on areas where I'm not forgiving or I'm not really following Jesus or all these different things. And I can get caught in that trap. And that's really what we're talking about today is is Jesus came as a captive liberator, as someone whose end goal was to set people free. And, And last week we talked to Pastor Brian about the fact that there's really three different ways we try to get out of the prison cell of our own lives, how we try to break free. And the first way is we say, I'm wrongly in prison. It's not that bad. I, I shouldn't be here. You know, like, I didn't sin that bad. Or, or maybe there's a way out of here just based on, like, my behavior or, or the fact that maybe I'm not actually in a prison. Maybe it, everything is good. And he talked about the fact that Jesus, at the end of the day, is here not to cancel people who deal with sin, But to cancel sin and brokenness and evil and injustice itself. Like that's the that's the aim of Jesus, who wants to free us from from prison from the inside out. And today we're talking about how when you find yourself in kind of the prison cell of your own life, maybe of your own making, maybe other people have constructed it around you, what we end up doing is just simply decorating it. It's not that bad. If I just put up some lights and some ornaments. I can make something that's bad and dead and keeping me enslaved, I can make it look good. I can make it look alive and maybe even trick people in my life to thinking that it's alive. And so it's into that kind of unique context that that we enter the Christmas story. Because the people you're about to read who encounter the stuff at Christmas are not that unlike you and unlike me. There's actually a lot of similarities that we're going to get into, and so... We're going to dive right into the story. I'm betting that most of us have heard this, but I want to kind of look at it in a different way. We're going to go to Luke 2 and start in verse 4. So if you've got your Bible or phone, uh, this is your chance. Luke 2, verse 4, and this is what it reads. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. A quick pause there. Shepherds is like blue collar. I mean, These are nine to five nine to six, hardworking guys, often traveling all throughout different countrysides to make sure their sheep could be fed. And it's in the midst of their lunch break or their night, night watch break that this next verse happens. Verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Picture where you work, picture where you do your nine to five, like what takes up most of your week and just picture in the middle of you standing by the water cooler, a angel appears. What's your reaction? Mine is going to be the shepherds. I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder if Jesus knew what I just thought about. Or I wonder if he, if he knew what I said to that person in my heart when they cut me off on the highway. I, w- I wonder. I'd be kind of going through this kind of mental checklist of like, have I been good lately, naughty or nice? I'm not sure. Where do I line up on this? And And the shepherds, rightly so, are just completely terrified. I mean, they are freaking out not sure what's going to happen next. And the angel says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. That, that's that's, the, that's the, the message here. I bring good news of great joy for all people. And, and, and the good news is this. Today, verse 11, in the town of David, a savior, a liberator. He's been born. He's the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. And here's the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, And lying in a manger. Now there's a ton of warm and fuzzies that just as soon as I read that, it's like, oh man, just sitting around the Christmas fire with with my family, or or sitting around with in-laws, or even Christmas Eve service and here in a couple weeks. There's just a lot of kind of nostalgic moments for me. But if we get real, can we do that? It's the 1030, so you guys are a little bit more awake. So if we're gonna get real about this story, here's the deal: these the circumstances of Jesus' birth are anything but decorated. They're anything but flashy. They're anything but attractive or appealing. I mean, we just had a kid 18 months ago. We're about to have another one in the spring. Like, if you look at the context of Jesus' birth, I don't want to replicate that. Like, I'm good. I don't need this. So, let's break this down. Firstly, Luke says the sign that the angel says, this is going to be the cue that humanity is saved, is a screaming newborn baby. That's a sign. Now, that's a sign in our house, but it's not a sign of good things. Like, like when Lennon wakes up screaming in the middle of the night, it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors. Who's getting up to deal with it? It's not like, oh, God is in our house. Like God is here. We are free people. We're liberated. Like that, Those are not the thoughts that that crossed my mind when it's 3.30 in the morning and my daughter's screaming. But the, the angel says that's a sign. The screaming baby, that's going to be the sign to you. And if you look at the context of where they have baby Jesus, I mean, look at some of these the clues Luke gives us to just point out the fact that this is not like a dream scenario. The baby's wrapped in rags. Think about you wash your car and you throw those like dirty rags kind of up on some hook or something in your garage till the next time you wash your car. That's kind of the scene here. It's like, oh yeah, we've got these. And you throw them on. It's like, that's what the baby could have been wrapped in. Maybe a towel or some kind of tunic that someone had extra on their camel. I mean, this is like the scenario here. And and they're also not putting cute little baby screaming Jesus in an Ikea crib exactly. You know, like they didn't spend the three, four, 30 hours, whatever it takes you to assemble furniture uh, to do that in this setting. They literally say, okay, we have a cave full of barn animals. And I kind of imagine it this way, like, just track with me. This is not in the Bible. This is John's version. But but Lindsay rode horses all growing up. I kind of picture like a horse eating from a manger trough and a shepherd kind of just like moving the head to the side and putting baby Jesus in. There's like, that works, you know, like very manly. Just we can do this. Like, we'll DIY it. And that's exactly how Jesus is found in this story. I mean this is, this is how Jesus the Messiah, the captive liberator, is born in a dark cold cave. You would think that Jesus' life must have gotten better after this, right? right? Like things should go kind of up and to the right because you, you're starting at a pretty low, low point here. a pretty human dirty, messy point. But if you look with me, uh, we're going to skip backwards into Lu- uh, sorry, Isaiah, 53, verse 2 through 3. I want you to just see these. We just saw them on the screen, but I want to bring them back to your attention. Isaiah is a prophet speaking into a very divided, very broken, very crumbling nation called Israel. And he's speaking to them. He's saying, there's someone coming who's going to free you. There's a liberator on the way. But look at how Isaiah describes that liberator, starting in verse 2. is how Isaiah depicts the adult version. This, this is the adult Jesus he's prophesying about. This is the suffering servant he's, he's pointing out and saying, this is the one who's gonna free you. I mean, he's, he's speaking this to a group of people who are sitting in, in the middle of two nations splitting apart, two kind of civil war, civil unrest. There's political divisions among Jewish people. I mean, if you're sitting here in Isaiah's time, you're wondering, are we ever gonna get free again? And fast forward to Luke's time. It's not radically different. I mean, Luke is preaching to a culture which is religiously divided, politically divided, racially divided. It's not unlike our time. Like, we could fit in the story here. And Luke and Isaiah are pointing out, they're pointing out truth and hope that's found in one of the most unlikely places. What they're writing about, what Isaiah is prophesying about, is a future rescue a liberator who will come to set his followers free, but he's not a typical liberator. He's not a decorated war hero. He's not a polished politician. Uh, he's not a cosmic genie who just kind of works in magic and just puffs here and there. No, he, he's described as a suffering servant. You could put it this way. He is a God without decoration. He is a God that understands what's really going on in humanity. He is a God that understands what it's really like to live in a Christmas world with suffering and pain still in the mix. That's the, the kind of God that we see at Christmas. Really, if you think about it, that's the call for all of us to, do, to be that as well. I mean, in some ways, like Christmas really is God wants the undecorated version of you too. Like it or not, God is not interested in the pretend perfectly religious version of you. God is not interested in the morally perfect day you have once a year. <laughs> and he's not interested in that for me either. God is not interested in the, just the married version of you or the single version of you. God's not interested in the version of you that's doing really, really well in your career or the version of you that's doing really, really well in school. God wants the undecorated you. That's Christmas. That's the beauty of what we're talking about. That's why we're still gathering around this suffering God today. And I see this all the time. I mean, honestly, I see people do this so many times in work. Things may be crumbling at home. You may be conversations away from a divorce, conversations away from your 20-year-old wanting to nothing to do with you and moving out and and running away from your, your life and your family. You may be in all those places, and yet, instead of getting honest, instead of undecorating that, what we end up doing is throwing ourselves into our work, throwing ourselves into career, throwing ourselves into places where we get bonuses and achievements and plaques. Throwing ourselves into something that ultimately it does matter, but what matters much more is what is going on when you pull back into the driveway and shut the garage door of your own house. We just like to decorate. It's just easier. It's just easier. We do this all the time in relationships too. I see this all the time. Where, yeah, I've got insecurity. I've got instability. I'm not confident I'm embarrassed about how I look, but but the right answer is to find a guy or a girl who will validate, who will bring significance, who will bring value, who will make me feel lovable, who will make me feel important, who's going to give me recognition, whether it's on a a dating app and it's virtual or in real life. And and instead of letting God kind of undecorate the parts of us that he only can meet, the, need, the parts of us that, that he can show, you are lovely, you are valuable, you are beautiful, you are significant apart from any man, apart from any woman, we just, de- just decorate. It's just easier. I'm just going to decorate. It's just easier. It's just easier that way. And, and Jesus didn't come, uh, fortunately or maybe unfortunately, depending on where you sit today, as the great Christmas decorator. It's a great life decorator. I'm just going to help you polish it up and look better. No, Jesus came as a liberator, which means you need to be liberated. Which means you and I operate almost daily in prison cells of our own making, whether it's sin or addiction or brokenness or you name it. I mean, we can think through those lenses for ourselves. He came to liberate us from those prison cells. He didn't come to help you stuff down the pain or suppress the sin or kind of ignore the addiction or just settle for showing up to a church service and religious performances. No, that's not at all his desire. He he wants the undecorated version of you. He wants the real you. And that's kind of the irony of Christmas decorations, right? That's where we started. Trying to make something dead look like it's alive. Trying to give off an impression that's not true, to give off something that's actually delusional on some level. And Jesus came to free us both from the delusion and also the desire to deceive people and just to be real about who we are and let him change us from the inside out. There's a fascinating conversation that happens right at the beginning of the gospel story. It's actually between John the Baptist and some people he's baptizing. So if you know the Gospels or know the Bible, John the Baptist is kind of this crazy character. He's a prophet. He was really set up to be the voice uh, to prepare the way for Jesus' earthly life, his earthly ministry. And Jesus comes down the hill one day. He's literally walking down, and John the Baptist is, he got the nickname for a reason, right? He's, he's literally baptizing people in the river. He's doing this, kind of declaring allegiance to, to Yahweh and aligning their lives with with God and his ways, and he sees Jesus come down. And I can picture John the Baptist because he's a little weird. Like the person's halfway in the water, and he sees Jesus, just kind of leaves him there and forgets that they're in the tank. And like, that's kind of how I picture John the Baptist. And so he leaves that person there bubbling up for air, and he sees Jesus coming down this hill, and he literally boldly proclaims, Behold! Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the reason that's so significant, the reason that's so striking, the reason that this, even this Christmas, that story has just come alive for me in a brand new way is that for the, the rest of history, up until that moment, many people, specifically in the Jewish religion, believe that the sacrificial system, bringing goats, bringing bulls, bringing rams, bringing doves, whatever you had to bring, was to cover up sin, cover it up. It's to make a covering for the sin that either they committed or, or sin that was committed in the community or your kids' sins. You go and sacrifice something to cover up for them or, or, or someone in the, in the neighborhood did and you're like, all right, I guess someone's got to do this. You go and kind of present a sacrifice. That was to cover up sin, but John the Baptist doesn't say, behold, the Lamb of God, the captive liberator, who's come to cover up the sin of the world. That's not what he says. It's not what the Bible says that John says. It literally is him declaring, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You don't cover up cancer. You don't cover it up. You don't say, take more Tylenol. You have to treat it. Sometimes it's surgery. Sometimes it's intense chemotherapy. You need to get in there and root it out to take it away. And that's exactly the work that Jesus does. And where we want to decorate, he's like, "Can you just, can we just take this stuff down? Can we just be real? Like, can I just free you from this cell and set you decorating and just kind of making it look better?" Uh, some of you know too. Like, I I grew up in a Christian home. I have incredible parents. I'm really thankful for them. Thankful for them and the way, they kind of instilled just some incredible principles and values in me at a very young age. And one of the ways uh, they did that was through reading, through the, creating kind of in us just a love for reading and. I remember when I was a kid, one of the very first book series I kind of worked all the way through was a Christian book series by C.S. Lewis called Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you are familiar with that. Maybe you've even seen the movies of that. Uh, But in Chronicles of Narnia, there's a specific book, and there's a story in that book, in the voyage of the Don Treader, uh, of a young kind of teenage boy named Eustace. And Eustace is super annoying. I don't know if you've ever seen the movies or read the books. He's just... Incredible character, but he is obnoxious. He is insecure. He's just an annoying kind of, yeah, I was going to say turd of a person, but I feel like it's bad to say that as a pastor, so I'm just going to not say it, but now I said it. So he's just like one of those guys, like, you're just annoying. Like, you're annoying to be around. And in that, they, they take this voyage and they find, Eustace finds this kind of dragon's lair, this kind of treasure. And he immediately is kind of cued in. He's like, I'm going to take this. I'm going to, like, hoard this. And so he takes it, and, and one of the things he does is he puts this massive kind of gold, ornate bracelet around his wrist. And at the time, it's fine. He's looking like king of the world. I mean, this really annoying, obnoxious teenager is now like, I'm rich. If I can find a way to take this stuff back to the real world outside of Narnia, I'm going to be set for life. And it's kind of mixture of greed and insecurity. What happens is this spell is attached to this gold and Eustace becomes a dragon. It's still Eustace, but he's trapped in this dragon's body. And his friends, his relatives, the people on the voyage, they're trying to figure out how do we get Eustace out of this situation? I mean, we can't take a dragon back to where we came from. He's not going to fit on the ship. I mean, there's all kinds of logistical problems, much much less, much less the fact that Eustace is uncomfortable. These these jewels and the jewelry obviously expanded. It's incredibly painful for him. He's just writhing, trying to figure out, how do I get free? Well, eventually they run through all the options, and, and none, nothing's going to work. And so they go to the very last option. They decide that the only way that this, this dragon spell is going to get broke off use is by calling on Aslan the lion, who in the series of the books and in the movies is kind of a model for Jesus, a model for Christ, He's a great lion. And so I want to pick up just the ending of this story as Eustace is getting free, and he's recounting. These are Eustace's words in the voyage of the John Shredder. He says, Then the lion said, this is Aslan, I don't know if it spoke, but it said, You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. When he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts, but it's such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious and as soon as i started swimming and splashing i found that all the pain had gone from my arm and then i saw why i had turned into a boy again now here's why that story is so significant this is a picture of what jesus desires to do in all of us it is to break the spell of perception it's to break the spell of image management It's to break the spell of needing likes. It's to break the spell of curating ourselves before God. It's to break the spell of feeling like we need to bring this kind of religious scorecard to God every single weekend and just say, like, is this good enough? And it's just let him undecorate us. And that's really at Christmas what God wants from me and from all of us, is to bring our undecorated selves to him and let him do what only he can do. You know, it's kind of unique, the position I'm in, uh, is standing up in front of a group of people every single weekend, preaching God's word, talking about things, sometimes sharing out of my own life. And I feel like today to kind of point this out, I just need to kind of share with you, like the journey we've been on in the last like four or five weeks. Uh, just as a way, because I bet this is going to resonate with a lot of us as well. Like my temptation in life as a leader is to cover things, is to decorate things so that people do not see that I'm actually not invincible. It's to cover things, decorate just enough to make people think, wow, that guy always has it together. How does he do that? And if you look at my last four or five weeks and our family's last four or five weeks, I mean, it started... Uh, The first weekend in November, I find myself driving up Byron Center Avenue to the ER at 10 o'clock at night, which is incredibly powerful, not good, heart palpitations. Just crazy. Felt like I was having a heart attack at 31. And I go and sit in the ER for a couple hours, and they don't really find anything. And so the last couple weeks, there's just been appointments and tests trying to just diagnose, what is that? you fast forward a couple weeks and I'm like, man, I just need to get to Thanksgiving. November's hard. I'm kind of wrapping up my master's degree. It's like everything is just in a pressure cooker right now. Lindsay was not feeling well. Lennon was not feeling well. I'm like, we just need to get to the fricking Thanksgiving. If we can get to Thanksgiving, man, like it's smooth sailing into December. We're going to make it. Well, it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. It's the Thursday afternoon. And I notice our, our heat slowly is going down. Like, supposed to be the same, right? It's going down, going down. goes from 68 to 65, and then I finally we're, like, about to go to bed Thursday night. It's like, this is not right. Like, it's 61 degrees in our house. This is, this is bad. And since I'm a genius mechanic, I go down to the furnace, look at it, and I say, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on, <laughs> but there's no heat coming out of it. So we call. Someone comes out. Kind of a temporary fix. Thirty minutes later, after the mechanic uh, leaves working on the furnace, poof, powers right back down. It's not working. Basically, he's like, "Here's the deal. You're gonna have to wait till Monday uh, to get get this part in and make sure that you can get this fixed correctly." And so, from Friday to Monday, it's like space heaters. We're huddled up. It's uncomfortable. Anytime the bathroom floor was just like the Arctic. You know, you get out of the shower, it's like, ah, like I just didn't want to put my feet on the ground. This just awful. And it was a miserable. I mean, we weren't feeling good. We're sucking in all this dry air. We all had sore throats and stuffy nose. It was just like a bad weekend. And I'm like, okay, just got to get to Thanksgiving, man. I'm a couple days away. So finally, we pack up the car Tuesday morning. We head down to my parents in Indiana, three, three-ish hour drive. And it's weird because Lennon's sleeping, and she's not acting herself that night. She doesn't sleep well. And the next morning, like we, it's Wednesday, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. We got to take her to urgent care and just figure out, make sure she's good. While we sit in urgent care for four hours, four hours later, uh, they're like, hey, did you know, like, your daughter has a double ear infection and RSV? I was like, nope, I didn't know that. Thank you for enlightening me. And she's like, I really would recommend you not be around people this week. I was like, come on. Like, I'm just trying to get to Thanksgiving. It's tomorrow. And so we had a bunch of family come in. it's the only time, only day, really, my entire immediate family's together all year. And, uh, and we made the decision. It was like, we can't pass this on everybody else or other babies, other little kids in the room. And it's like, all right, we got to drive home. So we pack up, drive home and just kind of rock Thanksgiving by ourselves. And it was incredibly sad. Like, that's the only picture I took at Thanksgiving. That's just wrong. You know, like Lindsay still cooked an incredible meal, even though she was not feeling great. And the only thing I took a picture of was a store-bought baguette, you know, like that just is a picture to me of, of our Thanksgiving. But I look back on that, like, three, like, each one of us went to urgent care in the same two weeks. Furnace dies. All this stuff is just pressing in. Man, it just felt like God was ripping the decorations off. But to be honest, can I get more real? Like, I prefer a God who decorates over one who liberates because it's easier. It's just easier. And if God can just cover it up, just fix all these things real quick. Let it not be sick. Fix the furnace. All A's on my master's program. Whatever it is. Like, if I could just do that, if I could just have him kind of decorate it up, then I can keep trying to live my life. Decorations are easier. I don't have to follow the narrow road. I don't have to trust the Holy Spirit. I can kind of micromanage myself, lead myself. But but most dangerous of all, if I, choose to, if I choose decorations over true freedom, true liberation, what ends up happening is I just settle into what's comfortable and familiar. I settle into sin. I settle into status quo, spirituality. I settle into Sundays, just making Sundays just a normal part of my week and just checking it off rather than an actual meeting with the God of, of the universe. And, and to me, that's one of the most subtle, dang, dangerous things that can happen And so I want to close with just how C.S. Lewis actually reflects on this story. He's writing a letter to a friend, and we have this kind of captured. And he's talking about this story, the use of the dragon. And this is what he writes. Here's what I've learned about Jesus. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And the reason that strikes me so profoundly is I really do think it begs this next question. What decoration do you need to lay down this Christmas? What is the thing? Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's an unforgiven relationship. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's just a hard Rock solid heart when it comes to your relationship with God that you just need to break open and replace with a soft heart again. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know I, I think about that question. I wrestled with this morning in prayer. There's decorations I got to lay down. There's stuff I got to lay down this Christmas. It's like if I truly want to experience freedom, if I truly want to experience the captive liberator at work in my life, I have to forego the decorations and allow Him to deal with the real. Me. and here's here's the beautiful thing that christ jesus the one we really celebrate the one we talk about the one christmas is is about he's actually somehow i don't know how he's magnified in transforming us in our weakness in our frailty in our sin in our brokenness in the undecorated version of ourselves that's what he wants god wants the undecorated you this Christmas, will you give it to him? Will you bring it to him? Will you choose decorations over freedom? I don't know. I can't make that choice for you, but here's what I know. I'd love to take a moment. I'd love to take a moment as we close to just pray over us as a, as a family, as a community, because I'm willing to bet maybe you've had a November like I had. Maybe that you're like, oh man, I feel you on that. Or maybe you've had an incredible November and God is still just trying to make you aware of some areas he wants to bring freedom to this Christmas. I don't know where you are, but I invite you just to close your eyes. We're gonna sing together in just a minute. And if you know, like as we're just sitting here and processing this, if you know that there's some areas you are gonna need the Spirit's help to just lay down some decorations to get real and honest before God, Would you just slip your hand up real quick? I wanna pray specifically over you, uh, if, if that's you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. So God, that's really what we're here for. We're here to bring ourselves. We're here to bring the undecorated us because that's what you were. You were real. You were tangible. You walked in the dirt. You wept. You bled for us you know what it's like to be in our shoes. And so God, I pray that in that light, with that kind of picture in mind, Jesus, would you heal us, especially those who just threw up their hands and say, I'm going to need God's help in this area. Would you help us to trust you to do the work? Would you help us just like Aslan and Yusas to know that there's gonna be moments of pain, but ultimately it's for our our true healing, our true freedom. And so we just submit ourselves to you in that. We pray that in a way that only you can, you'd be magnified and and lifted up and and honored by our transparency with you, by our vulnerability with you and, and even with others. So we thank you, God, for what you want to do. And we surrender this work to you in Jesus' name.